All right. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So I was thinking about Jesus. You know, Jesus said that we are to follow his example. And, um, you know, Jesus actually is the perfect example. Think about the men's retreat. Man, we're going to be talking about a willingness to suffer. We're going to be talking about living a holy life. We're going to talk about leading and love. And that is a description of who Jesus is. He's the ultimate man. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And um, I'm sorry, I, I kind of hear a ring. If there's a way we could turn that, you know, fix that, that'd be awesome. Um, but anyway, but the rest of us, we can ignore that, right? I can ignore it. You guys can too. That's awesome. Um, so, but one of the things about Jesus is, is Jesus as God in the flesh living on the earth. The Bible tells us that he was led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted. And we think about Jesus's prayer life. And as a member of the Trinity, as Jesus lived his life, he was led by the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus needed the leading of the Holy Spirit, we how much more need the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Chapter 12 is kind of a general explanation of spiritual gifts. So we're going to be looking at that today and in a couple weeks to come. And then chapter 13 is the chapter about love, right? 1 Corinthians 13. And what people miss is, is Paul talks about spiritual gifts and then he talks about love, which is the heart and what drives spiritual gifts. And then he talks about the problems in the Corinthian church in chapter 14 related to spiritual gifts. You know, we take this passage on love, and it's right that we do this. We, we, I preached on it on Valentine's Day. We talk about it in marriage and things like that. But this passage was about love was delivered in the context of spiritual gifts. One of the things that spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit bring unity. But if you think about denominations and division in denominations, you know what a lot of that comes from? Views on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? So there's charismatic churches and there's non-charismatic churches and there's all this division that comes out of a doctrine that should bring unity. And so we're gonna start thinking about that and how it relates to you and I. Now here's the thing that I want you to all know is that you have a spiritual gift that is a necessity in, for the health of the body of Christ if you're a Christian. Every Christian has a spiritual gift and every Christian should use that spiritual gift. And so we're not gonna get into the details of talking about what each gift is. We're gonna lay a foundation for the use of spiritual gifts. I mean, at some point we will come back, probably between chapter 12 and 13, we're gonna actually go through the list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I wanted you to just know this, that the proper functioning of the church is dependent on how spiritual gifts are expressed in that church. And if you are gonna use your spiritual gifts, it requires three things. And I'm gonna tag on a number four, but it requires three things. The first thing is you have to be a Christian. So if you're not a Christian, then you don't have a spiritual gift. If you are a Christian, you do have a spiritual gift. So that is the first requirement to using your spiritual gift is that you're a Christian. 
The second one is this. You have to be in the body of Christ. You cannot use your spiritual gift if you don't join together with the body of Christ. We're gonna talk about that. During COVID, people didn't come to church. And so many people said, oh, you know, if I watch online or if I show up at church on Sunday morning, it's really no different. And I just want you to know it's what I said during that period of time when we weren't meeting, and it's what I say to this day. If watching church online is the same thing as being there, then you are doing church wrong. You're thinking incorrectly. You are not participating the way God intends. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are expressed within the body of Christ to believers and unbelievers. We'll look more at that in our passage this morning. The third thing that you need for expressing the gifts of the Holy Spirit is love. Uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, did you know that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for the person who has a gift? Um, your gift is not for you. Uh, the Bible's going to say that today in our passage. It is not for you. It is for others. So you are blessed by the spiritual gifts that are in other people, and other people are blessed by the spiritual gift that is in you. That is God's intention and God's design. And uh, here's a fourth one. We need to kind of understand what God says about spiritual gifts. Some of the things I just mentioned are things that many people don't know. Uh, so we need to understand it, but I want to tell you this too. You don't have to know what your spiritual gift is to use it. It's helpful if you know what it is, but you do not need to know what it is to use your spiritual gift. So we'll talk about that this morning as well. Um, when it comes to the whole doctrine of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, there are things related to spiritual gifts, like one would be, I have the spiritual gift for building myself up. We can just say that is 100% wrong. There are a lot of things related to spiritual gifts that we can say, that's wrong. Uh, people who are slain in the Spirit, that is not an exercise of the spiritual gifts. Uh, there was a church uh, close to my last town that they were overcome by this movement of barking in the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and we laugh at that, but, but we shouldn't laugh. That's heartbreaking. But I want you to know, barking in the Holy Spirit is wrong. That is not an expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So there are things that we can say for sure, this is wrong. There are other things that we can say for sure, this is right. And when we do the things that God, when we avoid the things that God says is wrong, and we do the things that God says is right, there's not that much left to disagree on. And so as we approach this, um, we're going to be thankful for that. And it's good for us to be able to identify these things are wrong. We'll cover some more of what those things are and to emphasize the things that are right. And so uh, let's jump into this passage. And we're going to basically see three things this morning. The first thing is that spiritual gifts are essential and must be used with proper discernment. 
Um, there, there are many people who would just say, hey, don't criticize spiritual gifts. Don't point out things that are wrong. <laughs> I just want you to know that's actually a healthy part of being a Christian is to be able to point out things and say, that's wrong. Uh, that's one of the things God intends. And we also need to be able to say, that's right. And so uh, spiritual gifts, they are essential and they need to be used with discernment. The second one is that God gives spiritual gifts for the common good. Um, We'll cover that. And also, the same God, this is unity, gives unique gifts to every individual. That is diversity. There is unity and diversity in the body of Christ, and that is not a bad thing. That is a very good thing. Those are the three things we'll be covering this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's start by reading um, verse 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians 12. Spiritual gifts are essential and must be used with proper discernment. So it says this, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So those are, I don't know about you, but when I read those verses, they are shocking to me. Are those not shocking to you? Like I I look at that and I think to myself, how can Paul feel the need to write that? How can he feel the need to say, nobody speaking in the Holy Spirit says Jesus is accursed? Like, is that not obvious? And yet I would say that when we look at things and behavior, and when we look at things within the area of spiritual gifts, There are many things that are clearly wrong that the body of Christ does not correctly identify. And also where it says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Um, That's kind of challenging too, isn't it? Like when you think about that, how is that true? Like, do you think that we could gather up a bunch of unbelievers and get them to say Jesus is Lord? I mean, don't you think you get somebody to say that who's not a Christian? In fact, it's kind of interesting. Doesn't Jesus say in Matthew 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons and do miracles in your name? And then I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So what exactly is going on in this passage? Let's think about it. First thing I want to point out is it says, now concerning. Every time Paul uses that word, he's answering a question that the Corinthians wrote. So they actually wrote Paul a question about spiritual gifts, and he is answering the questions that they have asked. And then he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Um, The whole issue of being uninformed, it is significant as Christians that we know what God says. Right belief should lead to right action. 
A lot of the things that are wrong in people's lives are because they don't know truth. There's a lot of people who says, hey, I'm just gonna worship God in my own heart and spirit, and theology's unimportant. What I know about the Bible's unimportant. What I believe about this topic or that topic is unimportant. And Paul here says, you should not be uninformed. And when he looks at the problems within the Corinthian church, he attributes it to their being uninformed. And so what we believe actually matters. Now that is not the end of, the, of things. Uh, there's a lot of people who know what's right, but then they don't practice it. God intends us to know the truth and then live it out. When you think about discipleship, right? The Great Commission, uh, Jesus says, uh, go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's salvation, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. There's two elements of that. You can't obey something you don't know. So you're teaching people what God says, but we don't just stop by teaching what God says. We teach people to obey. Number one, that they're supposed to obey, and also we help with how to obey. That's the marriage class. A lot of people struggle in marriages because they don't actually know what God says about it. They don't think rightly about relationships. There's other people that know what God says and they don't do it. And so that marriage class will help with both. And so Paul says here, I don't want you to be uninformed. Verse two says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Now Paul's just saying, you come from a background of idol worship you come from a background of just without knowing what you were doing, just kind of being led here and there. And I will say this about a lot of controversy over spiritual gifts is that it's devoid of truth and it's full of emotion. And people just get into crowds, they work each other up, they do things, they're totally overcome by emotion and they don't think about what God says and what's right. They're driven solely by their emotions. And that is not what God intends. Now, what I think is interesting is often uh, baptism. People de-emphasize it because of wrong teaching about it. Uh, The the Lord's Supper. People de-emphasize it because of wrong teaching about it. (laughs) Spiritual gifts. People de-emphasize spiritual gifts. People de-emphasize the ministry of the Holy Spirit because of seeing abuses in it. We see things that aren't true and that aren't good and that aren't healthy, and so we just run away. I love some of my family and friends that are involved in the charismatic movement and those kinds of things because they love the Lord with all their heart. And and when I'm around them, I could say, okay, I disagree with you about this doctrine. I see these things that are not right, but I also see this heart this passion, this commitment to prayer that is so positive and so good and so needed. You know, the Christian faith is not just intellectual. It, 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 take, it, it involves all of us, which includes our emotion, but is not driven by emotions. So he's saying, hey, from your pagan life, you guys just got worked up into a frenzy and did whatever. He's saying, don't bring that into your Christianity. And then he says here in verse three, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to just emphasize and encourage about that, that is not just talking about 
um, words, empty words. That is talking about words reflected in the heart. And so when you think about um, this confession, um, I, I think about the fact that uh, Jesus just says um, about, uh, about uh, speaking, um, he says in, um, in Matthew, he just says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so here Paul is emphasizing that when we speak from our heart, um, you can't curse Jesus. Um, there's, there are some debates about what potentially that means. Some people say that this is a reference to people cursing somebody else in the name of Jesus. But actually in this phrase, it says nobody curses Jesus. And I think that that was what was actually happening in the church is people exercising spiritual gifts were saying things about Jesus that weren't true. They were, they were cursing Jesus. And Paul has to say that is not an expression of the Holy Spirit. But it's an issue larger than that. It's an issue that just means that when you live out of your life and heart, you cannot despise Jesus. And that, that is not an expression of the Holy Spirit. Um, we love Jesus when we're Christians, which means also that we obey Jesus. And so that's an expression of, you can't, uh, a couple weeks ago I said that people who just don't wanna go to hell aren't going to heaven. Like as a little kid, I talked about myself and just said, as a kid, I was taught, um, you can choose either to be apart from God in hell or in heaven. And in my own heart, I had no affection for Jesus, didn't love Jesus, didn't want him to rule my life. But if, you, if we got brought all the kids from Sunday school in here and said, okay, anybody who wants to burn in hell forever, go to that side of the room. And anybody who wants to go to heaven, go to this side of the room. Do you think we'd have any kids going, oh, I'll go to, I'll go to the hell side. Like nobody does that. But what the Bible tells us is that salvation is actually a work of God in your heart that makes you love Jesus and see him as beautiful. Second Peter says that God called us into salvation. God called us through his own glory and excellence. We see Jesus' glory, we see his excellence. And so if in your heart you despise Jesus, that is not an expression of the Holy Spirit. And no one can confess Jesus as Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and will raise him on the last day. The Holy Spirit, God through the Holy Spirit, draws people into a relationship with himself. And for a person to confess, for their mouth to match their heart, and to say, Jesus, you are Lord. I am going to worship you. I'm going to obey you. I want to follow you. That only happens as a reflection of God's call in a person's life. And when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are a reflection of your relationship with Christ. And what was going on in the Corinthian church, a lot of what was wrong was because they, there were people within their midst that didn't know the Lord. And even those who did know the Lord were undiscerning. And so Paul here says, you cannot be uninformed. One of the things that the Bible tells us here in Ephesians chapter 11, I wanna just look at this. This is about spiritual gifts and the necessity of spiritual gifts. Um, there are many people who, when they come to church, they feel like, hey, I'm coming to hear a sermon. I'm coming so people can sing for me. I'm coming, I wonder what I will get from church. 
Have you ever met somebody like that? Have, have you ever done that? Have you ever showed up and thought to yourself, hey, I'm here and, and I want to evaluate. How, how does this impact me? And, and that's part of our difficulty is often we view church like it is a spectator sport when it is not. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.11, it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, that's pastors, and teachers. So all the leaders in church, often people say leaders are here to serve me. Well, this is what the Bible tells us in Ephesians, that God gave all those leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. So the job of leaders is to train the people in the church, the members of the body of Christ, to do all the work. You ever show up at church and think, man, somebody should do something about that. Um, That's you. Uh, When Michelle and I were young and our kids were small, we really struggled with the nursery. (laughs) Sometimes we'd get our kids all ready for church and and we'd show up and uh, we'd get there and there'd be nobody working the nursery. And so now Michelle would be standing out on the patio and with our kids after all this work of getting our kids ready. I remember going to an elder meeting and just saying, "Um, guys, we need to give attention to the nursery and to the Sunday school ministry. And I just want you guys to know that in my family, I'm not going anywhere because I'm a pastor here. But we sometimes can't go to church because the nursery's not taken care of. And I, I just told him, I said, if I was visiting and I had little kids, I'd go to a different church because coming here with small kids means you can't go to church. And, and the time wasn't right for Michelle, but I remember we had some leadership transitions happening. And uh, one of the elders came to me and they just said, hey, Raj, would Michelle consider running the nursery? And uh, so I went home and Michelle's like, I really don't want to be in charge of the nursery. <laughs> one of the things I told her was, you seem to have a really good perspective of what's wrong with the nursery. <laughs> so you should go be in charge of it. You should go run it. Like you see all the things and how they're supposed to happen. You should go do that. And so the, for the next like, I think it was like eight to 12 years, Michelle ran the nursery. <laughs> and I want to tell you something. That nursery went from having the nursery person in charge of the nursery, working the nursery with her family every single week. That's what happened before Michelle was there. By the time Michelle left, there were 40 volunteers in the nursery ministry, and everybody wanted to join the nursery ministry. And it's because God put on her heart, hey, you see this, you see how it should be done, now go do it. Everybody who shows up in church with an idea, Hey, I got an idea. Somebody should do this. Somebody should do that. Somebody should do this. That's awesome. But when you bring those ideas, hey, we want to hear them, but be ready to sign up. Because if you see it, God probably wants you to help with it. Um, the body of Christ is to build each other up. That is a necessity. If, if you show up here and you are not contributing, you are not using your gifts, what I want you to know is you are missing out on something important that God is calling you to do, and everybody in the church 
is missing out on what God intends you to bring. Um, Being a part of and using your gift in the body of Christ is a necessity for every person. Uh, The Bible tells us in in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it just says this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the winds, by, by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we are to, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. By the way, you're the joint that the body is equipped with. And it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Um, That is God's purpose for spiritual gifts. And so that's the first thing. Uh, Gifts are a necessity. Why do you think Satan attacks churches in the area of spiritual gifts? It's because it's so important. It's vital. And so Satan's like, what's a really powerful thing? How can I mess that up? And that's what happens in the area of spiritual gifts, right? So let's consider the second point is this, as we read, read on in verse 4, God gives spiritual gifts for the common good. You know, this is one of those lenses that we can put on spiritual gifts, and we can just look as we go through Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and as we look at all the spiritual gifts and how they're exercised everywhere, um, this is one of those things that we can say, okay, this is a filter, And so I'm going to apply this filter, and then what are all the wrong doctrines that I can remove for this? Or when we get to the gift of tongues, that one, two, or three people, and one at a time. I grew up in a church when I was a a teenager, when everybody prayed in tongues, and they ran around the church singing in tongues. Um, If you obey what the Bible says, there are whole categories of things that will not happen. And we should not be people who go, hey, there's a problem over there. Let's get rid of everything. That's that whole thing of uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We should be able to look at spiritual gifts and say that's not an accurate expression of spiritual gifts. But let's benefit from the things that are an accurate expression of spiritual gifts. God gives spiritual gifts for the common good. This is what it says in verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Okay, we're going to hit a whole section on unity. A variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. And then verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That is the expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. To each, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It doesn't say for yourself. It says for the common good. 
That's why God gives spiritual gifts is to build up the body of Christ. It is given for the common good. And Satan wants to take this good thing. Spiritual gifts are good, and he wants to make it something bad. Um, so this, these unifying gifts, there's unity, but there's diversity. So there's three words used about gifts in this passage. First one is gifts. Second one is service. And the third one is activities. So you see those three things? Let's think about what spiritual gifts are. First thing, it's a gift. This is something good. This is something that is beneficial. We should not try to hinder spiritual gifts. We should be thankful for them. Um, The word for gift is God's grace. It's God's goodness. There's a related word, which is joy. I mean, spiritual gifts should bring joy. They're a blessing. Uh, When you're functioning in the body of Christ and somebody who's been gifted by God expresses that gift in your life, it is so positive, it is so encouraging, it is so helpful, it is such a blessing. So there's this joy, like gifts are a good thing for the body of Christ. Um, By the way, that word for uh, um, gifts here, refers to the gift of salvation. Like that's one of the ways that this exact word is used in the New Testament. It's the gift of salvation. It's this God, good thing that God gives you. It is the gifts, the enablements that the, that the Holy Spirit puts in your life. And it's also used for just God's general goodness. So when we think about spiritual gifts, man, they are good. The second thing is it says service. You know, gifts are given for the common good. What that means is you serve with your gifts. The, the Greek word for service is the same word that we get deacon from. And it's serving. So you have a spiritual gift so you can serve. And so that's the attitude. It's like that's leadership, right? Jesus says that the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's what God talks about with leadership, that godly leadership is service, and God has gifted you for the well-being of others and that you serve other people. (laughs) Not serve yourself, but to serve others. And the third word that's used here is activities. You know, um, spiritual gifts do things. They don't just sit in the corner and accomplish nothing. Things happen because of spiritual gifts. And often the things that churches need to happen don't happen because gifts are not in operation the way God intends them to be in operation. Um, one, one of the interesting things about the Corinthian church is in chapter one, verse seven, um, Paul says that they are not lacking in any spiritual gift. So God uniquely and supernaturally blessed this church with everything that they need. Hey, guess what? God has supernaturally blessed Foothills Church with everything this church needs. So if we need to get something done and there's nobody to do it, (laughs) there's one of two reasons. The person supposed to be doing that is sitting on the sideline. Or that is not something that God intends for this church to do. And there's often things that I'll look at and I'll just go, man, that would be such a good ministry, such an empowerful thing for us to do. But I look around and it's like, well, I know God doesn't want me to do that. 
And I look around and there's nobody else who could do that. So then I feel good about not doing some really important things. Um, there are really important things in this church that aren't happening and I'm fine with it because sometimes those are just things that God has not intended. And uh, then there's other things that I think, man, we should do that. And I can think of a bunch of people who could do it. Or maybe, there, maybe I can't think of them, but maybe there are a bunch of people who could do that. And so we need to be people that are using our spiritual gifts. By the way, if watching church online is the same thing to you as being here on Sunday morning, you are leaving things undone. Right. God intends you as a believer to be using your gifts in the body of Christ. And so the church is suffering because you're not functioning the way it should function. The church's ministry is not as powerful as it could be because you are not doing the thing that God has called you to do. Um, let's consider the third thing. The third thing is this. The same God, that's unity, gives gifts, unique gifts, to each individual. That is diversity. So we started our contrasts. Uh, one God gives a variety of gifts. Let's see how that continues in the rest of this. It says this, for to one is given through the Holy Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another, working of miracles, and to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now when it comes to spiritual gifts, um, I think it's important for us to look at the lists of, the, of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's one in Romans chapter 12. There's a list here. Like there are about three lists of gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important for us to look at those gifts. But let me just, I'll tell you what I think about spiritual gifts. I don't think that, that every single list, they're not all the same. I don't think every single list, it's like, okay, pick which one you are. I think every single person is a unique combination of gifts. There is nobody on earth like you. Like I think about the gift of teaching. I hear a lot of people who teach, and you know what, I'm blessed by a lot of different teachers, but there is not any two of them that are exactly the same. They're unique. There's a unique combination. I, I know people who have various kinds of gifts, and, and maybe we could fit into categories, but your gift is unlike any other gift. Um, so often when I've heard people teach through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, people leave and they feel discouraged. Like we did this whole series some time ago. I wasn't the one teaching it, although it would happen when I taught it too. Um, but somebody comes up afterwards and they're like, man, I am more confused now than before I started. I still have no idea what my gift is. <laughs> and I always just encourage people, you don't have to know what your gift is. Um, let, me, let me just uh, express it this way. Have you ever taken a personality test? You know how there's all these different personality tests and says, oh, you're an extrovert and you're an introvert. Could you imagine a person who says, yeah, you know what, uh, hey, uh, you invited me to come to your house, but, but I really can't come. I don't, I don't know what my personality type is. 
Or, um, you know, if I go, I just, I, I wouldn't know what to do. I don't know if I'm an extrovert, an introvert. I gotta find someone to give me a test. You know, your personality is who it is, and your personality gets expressed wherever you go and whatever you do. And sometimes it's helpful to know your personality type and to know the personality types of people around you because you could say, you know what? I have a tendency to kind of function this way, and you have a tendency to function that way. This can help us communicate. It can help us figure out how we can work together. You know, I communicate things in this way, but when I tell it to you that way, you don't like it. It's not helpful to you. So maybe I could bear that in mind. And so there is a benefit to knowing what your spiritual gift is and to thinking those through, but you by no means need to know what your spiritual gift is to use it. People's biggest problem when it comes to using spiritual gifts is they're not doing anything. Just start doing things. The things that you're good at and that other people affirm, hey, you're really good at that. You should do that. That's awesome. That's great. Like there are some people who think, you know, you, we've all watched American Idol, right? There are some people who they see somebody up front and they think to themselves, oh man, that's so exciting. I gotta tell you, I have listened to some people sing that have the most amazing voices. And I've often thought, man, it would be so cool <laughs> to be able to stand up on stage and to sound like that. Have you ever had that thought? But you know what, that's not my gift. And uh, so I can sing, and I've always like sang out. I have a very average voice, and I sing out. I've led worship um, for many years in my life in different environments, and I view myself as an example. I'd get up there and sing. I don't have a spectacular voice, and I would just tell everybody else, hey, listen, if I could sing, anybody can. I encouraged everyone to sing. Nobody's like, oh, that's so amazing, I could never do that. Everybody's like, wow, if he could sing, I guess anybody can. <laughs> And the biggest problem that people have often is they, you just don't get to work and just do things. And, and if you do something and everybody says, hey, you're really bad at that, you shouldn't do that. Well, you could listen. Like find the places that you excel, the places where you do well. I would just say when it comes to the gift of teaching, um, there are so many different ways and places that a person could teach. You could teach in Sunday school, you could teach youth, you could teach a small group, you could lead a discussion. Like there's so many different ways that that gift can be expressed. Um, if you're a, a person who's full of mercy, that mercy is gonna touch everything that you do. And so if you're a greeter, you're gonna be a merciful greeter. If you're leading a Bible study, you're gonna be a merciful Bible study leader. And so your gifts are going to be expressed in whatever you do. So yes, let's figure it out. But if you leave here going, oh man, I don't know which box to check. I'm so discouraged. I don't know what to do. That is a wrong approach to spiritual gifts. And so we see a list of nine gifts in this passage. One of the things that we'll notice here is that it's diverse. Now, when you think about differences in spiritual gifts, if everybody was exactly like me, you know, things would be more comfortable around here for me. <laughs> if everyone thought the way I thought, if everything believed everything I believed, if everybody had the same preferences that I have, I'd really like this place. It'd be kind of cool. I'd walk in and say, I think the sanctuary should be this color. And everybody around me would say, well, what a great idea. That's our favorite color too. <laughs> and it's like, life would be so good if everybody thought about everything the way I did. But you want to know something about this church? It would be a very one-dimensional church. 
And so there's a lot of benefits to diversity. There's times, if you ever think about this, that people need to hear things in different ways. There are some people that are so gentle in how they talk with people that whoever they're talking to never has any idea what they're saying. Like, this person's in sin. I need to go talk to them about that. And they go have a conversation, and the person walks away, and they're just like, cool, this is, this is awesome. It's like, well, did you learn anything about something you should do differently? No, I have no idea. There's other people that are very direct, and sometimes that can be challenging. People don't like to hear things directly. You know what's really cool? is when you have somebody who's gifted in a certain way and they communicate maybe very directly and people understand what's being said. And then you have somebody else who comes alongside them and they say, oh man, my feelings really got hurt in this conversation. Well, then there's a whole bunch of things that God intends for working out, hurt feelings and love for each other and all that. But also, man, this is really hard for me to hear. And somebody comes alongside and they're very encouraging and they're very helpful and they say to them, hey, and they encourage them, they build them up. And then they say, you are so blessed that you had a person who cared about you enough to tell you that. Do you have any idea how many people don't love people enough to tell them the truth? Because they're so concerned about being liked that they will never risk hurting anybody's feelings. Man, that person loves you enough to have a direct conversation. And then for you to realize, but I can come alongside and I can be that merciful, encouraging helpfulness that takes this conversation and makes it so much more valuable. And that's God has made the body of Christ unique and different. And nobody else is like you. Now, I wanna just say something often. We look at sin as a difference. And we'll just go, hey, we're just different. Yeah. But what we're talking about is sin. What I want you to know is that there's no spiritual gift of anger. There is no spiritual gift of pride or self-righteousness. There is no spiritual gift of a lack of patience. There is no spiritual gift of biting and devouring. And sometimes people are prideful and arrogant and they'll just say, yeah, I don't have the gift of patience. And they're just impatient with everyone. That's not a difference in how God made you. That's sin. And often in the body of Christ, we look at sinful behavior and we label it as, hey, people are just different. Not everybody sees things the same way. Wrong. Right. Differences in spiritual gifts do not lead to division, they do not lead to biting and devouring, they do not lead to anger and broken relationships. Sin leads to those things. It says this in Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorceries, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. None of those things are an expression of the differences that God intends us to have. All of those are an expression of sin. And so that's one of the things we need to recognize. What's just a difference in how we do things? We need to love and appreciate that difference. When, when you would approach things differently than the people around you, that's not negative, that's positive. And one of the things that you should think about 
is every time you meet somebody in the church that would do things differently than you, God put them there because there are some things that need to be done differently. One of the things I love about our elder meetings is when we make decisions about things in ministry, all those decisions are not what I would have picked if I was in the room by myself. But one of the things I think about when we're sitting in a room is God has put every single one of us here for a reason. And if God wanted things to be done this way, then everybody would think that's how they should be done. Now here's the thing, sometimes uh, we don't do things that God has told us to do. Uh, As a leadership team, for example, God may call us to confront sin. And we just go, we might say, oh man, if we do that, people are gonna get mad. So I don't really care what God says, I'm just not gonna do it. Okay, that's sin when we disobey God. And that can happen. But when you're thinking about how do I approach things and what, what would God intend for us to do, and when we approach things differently, some, one person brings this perspective, another person brings that perspective, it is so important that people sitting in that room don't think what I think is best. The way I would do this is the best way to do it. And anything different than what I would do is falling short in what God intends for the church. Instead, we should say, this is the group of people that God sovereignly picked to be elders right now. And so as we're thinking about this ministry and how it should be shaped and what it should be done, we recognize God put me here to contribute. But God also put each of these other people to contribute. And when it ends up different than what you would have intended it to be, you should say, well, thank goodness it's not what I wanted. Thank goodness that God put other people here to speak into this so that it could be better. And in the same way that the elders need to view things that way, in this church, you need to view things that way. Have you ever looked at somebody else's ministry and thought to yourself, hey, they should do that differently. You know, they shouldn't do this. They shouldn't do that. They should do this other thing over here. If I was there, that's not how I would do it. Instead of thinking to yourself, God put them in that position because of who they are, because of who God made them uniquely. And actually, sometimes I don't feel blessed by that, but actually what you should be thinking to yourself is, God put them there in this church family because I need what they are doing. And if I don't perceive it that way, then I need to change my perception. And so we need to recognize that God is sovereign and God puts gifts there. Uh, I want to read this passage here about the fruit of the Spirit. I don't care what your spiritual gift is. This is how spiritual gifts are expressed. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the way every spiritual gift is to be expressed with the fruit of the Spirit. Those things, by the way, are not specific spiritual gifts. That's just the evidence that you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And so those things need to go along with every gift. And you know, Paul is saying at the very beginning, I don't want you to be uninformed. Um, James chapter three, verse 13 through 18, 
uh, describes this is what fleshly wisdom looks like. This is what sinful wisdom looks like. This is what godly wisdom looks like. So when there's divisions and conflicts in the church, when there's differences within uh, gifts and things like that, if, if a person is being sinful, you don't say, well, hey, that's just how God made them. No. Um, when a person is with the fruit of the Spirit, saying, I see this differently, I think the Lord would have us do this. Man, we, we get behind that. We love that. We appreciate that. And we recognize that as an expression of the differences that God intends. I want to close by reading a story that I read in my candidating sermon. So when I was candidating here four years ago, um, I taught on Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And I want to read this story, and it's something for us to keep in mind. It says this. This is by an unknown author. And it just says, Brother Hammer served as the chairman. The, others, the other members of the tool belt informed him that he must leave because he was too noisy. And that hammer made a lot of noise. Brother Hammer said, if I have to leave this carpenter shop, then bro Brother Gimmel must go too. He is insignificant and makes a very small impression. A, a gimbal's a little tiny tool that makes a little, little uh, mark, a groove. Little brother Gimmel arose and said, all right, but brother screwdriver must go also. You have to turn him around and around to get anywhere with him. <laughs> brother screwdriver turned to the other tool belt and said, well, I'll go if you wish, but brother plane must leave too. All of his work is on the surface. There is no depth to anything that he does. To this brother, Plain level, uh, leveled his terse reply. Then when, brothers, when brother Saw will have to depart too, the changes he proposes always cut too deep. <laughs> brother Saw complained saying, brother ruler will have to withdraw if I leave, for he's always measuring other folks as if he were the only one who was right. Brother Ruler then surveyed the group and said, Brother Sandpaper doesn't belong here either. He's rougher than he ought to be, and he's always rubbing people the wrong way. <laughs> in the midst of the discussion, the carpenter of Nazareth walked in, and he went to his workbench to make a pulpit, and he, enjoyed the, he employed the ruler, the saw, the plane, the hammer, the gimbal, the screwdriver, the sandpaper, and all the other tools. And when the day's work was over, the pulpit was finished and the carpenter went home. All the accusations against each of these tools were absolutely true. Yet the carpenter used every one of them. No matter which tool he used, no other tool could have done that work better. It's important for us to understand God's created differences and sin is not the difference that God intends, but God's made us unique. And, and we can do what no one else other than us can do when we're in God's hands being used by him. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, I ask that you would just bless us, help us to be people that recognize and learn what our gifts are, Lord, that we would employ them in serving one another. God, I pray that everybody would love you, that they would love others, that they would live their lives in a spirit-filled way. God, I pray that nobody would sit on the sidelines because they don't know what their spiritual gift is. And yet, Lord, I pray that as a body of Christ that we would help each other to know what you say about things in your name. Amen.